Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Diane Vernon, founder and chief executive of Employability UK. We speak about the pressures and stresses that young people are having to deal with and how Diane, her team and team of volunteers are helping to meet these challenges head on. We speak about the inevitable impact of COVID-19 on the work Diane does with young people and those wishing to support them. We speak about volunteering and what this can do for young people and also for volunteers too. I found this conversation with Diane thoroughly thought-provoking as well as hopeful and gratifying and I'm sure you will too. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, fundraising platform Work for Good and the festive small business star match funding campaign. This year there's a £50,000 match funding pod available. Head to www.workforgood.co.uk to sign up for free. So without further ado, here is Diane Vernon speaking with me about offering young people a brighter future. I'm delighted to be joined by Diane Vernon, founder and chief executive of Employability UK. Diane, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe we can start by, if you tell our listeners a little bit about you, what your background is and what led you to found and lead Employability UK. I think the opportunities for young people are really important and it, it's imperative that people with knowledge and wisdom and experience share that with young people uh, to the benefit of their advancement and their self-belief and self-confidence um, I ran BT's education and um, community programmes for a number of years, way back when I was working in BT. And so I've been in the education business partnerships arena for some considerable time. I uh, was fortunate enough to be able to take a voluntary redundancy package. And um, I then joined a London-based charity to take their employability programme out across the country across to uh, the whole of the UK, including Scotland and Northern Ireland. I came across lots of inspirational people uh, on that journey, and um, it really embedded in me the need for what was required to get the very best out of young people. So after eight years of of working there and um, thinking that I probably knew quite a lot about what works and doesn't work, I thought, well, the only way to do this is to do it myself and set up a a charity. And everyone said, oh, don't set up a charity. It's really difficult and it'll take you ages and just go out as a consultant. You'll be great. And, you know, you earn loads of money. And I thought, well, that's fine, but this isn't about money. It's about legacy. It's about impact. It's about making a real difference that's going to carry on when I don't do it anymore and I can't do it anymore. And so I I did leave my job in August 2014 and set about researching how to set up a a charity, which um, I did. I used my network and contacts and people that have uh, a lot of experience in the area to help and guide me in a coaching and mentoring way. Um, and 11 weeks later, I got registered charity status for Employability UK. I then used, again, my contacts and networks to bounce ideas around. And I was actually contacted by um, 
Coventry Building Society, who had uh, we'd done a I'd done a number of projects with them in in my previous roles, and they asked me to design a an employee volunteering program for them, oh, which wow. I did, and um, it uh, we started with a pilot, six schools across Coventry, and um, I designed the framework for the program, briefed the volunteers, and got the schools on board, and delivered the program and put, started to put a, a small team in place. And that was the beginning, really, because that went really, really well. And after the pilot, uh, CBS said, we love this. It's fantastic. It's extended to 10 schools across Coventry and so on. And that that was really the beginning of the journey for for me, because it was a case of either make this work or go and get a job and that focuses the mind <laughs> so if you want to do something that you love and you're passionate about you've got to work extra hard to make sure it uh, happens and um and it's that learning and um the knockbacks and the resilience that it calls upon of you that you can then share with others and say well I did it and this is how I did it and this is what I did well and this is what I change but you can do it too and I think that's been really important over the the seven years since the charity was started um the I, I mean one of the highlights of my career was that in 2018 Coventry Building Society applied for a business in the community uh, responsible business award for education partnerships with myself and um and we won that award in 2018 oh wow which is absolutely fantastic for the Coventry but mm. They said, well, we couldn't have done it without you. So it's when those sorts of things happen that you know you're doing something right. And I guess also it gives some kind of recognition to those that are on board then as well with the work that you're doing to maybe encourage them to, to kind of stick with it as well. Absolutely. I mean, people like to align themselves with positivity and success. One thing mm. I mean, I'm passionate about is volunteering opportunities and making sure people feel valued, that they're giving something back in a safe environment where they are supported and looked after and encouraged. And this has been a key opportunity for that because the Coventry Building Society volunteers who've helped deliver the programme over the last six years have been absolutely tremendous and and I know that when we started to embed it into the HR agenda as well as the CSR agenda so it was making a difference to personal development for people that's when you know you've got a good formula because it it's a win-win situation for the charity mm. and the business and the people that are involved We've spoken with uh, Indidia Casey of UK Youth and Paul Evans of Leadership Through Sport and Business about the challenges that young people are facing, both in education and social mobility too. What are the challenges that you're seeing young people face and what is needed to help young people thrive in our society? It's interesting, there's a uh, publication out just this week that documents some of the challenges that, that you're referring to here. And, and it's quite ironic because... I read through it and I think, you know, this, this is really good because it crystallises and brings back to the forefront the importance of the issues that young people face. But interestingly, the language starts to get you that gets used is slightly different, mm. but the issues remain the same. And sometimes when you've been seeing these 
um, issues present themselves for a number of years in, in the arena, you start to think, well, you know, what can we actually do to address some of this? Because the, this isn't new. This is not new. This, this sort of, you know, these problems, um, a lack of parental um, role models or uh, network, um, people be feeling disenfranchised with the system, they're feeling lonely, there's mm. all sorts of issues out there. They're no different. It's just the env environment that they're in has changed and the pressures upon young people have changed because 10, 15, even 20 years ago, the issues were the same. People were struggling maybe to get a job. They might have been the first in their family to go to university. They may, may have felt low self-esteem, low aspirations. Those issues are, are exactly the same now, and there are more of them. But the factors that impact on those issues are different because now we've got higher expectations, much more competition, social media. There's a lot of high parental expectation that's put an enormous amount of pressure on some young people to do things that they maybe don't really want to do. And they're not sure whether it's the parent's fault, their fault, someone else's fault. And, and, and that confusion can be quite debilitating, I think, for young people. I mean, you mentioned social media. One thing that I was having a conversation with a a colleague about recently was um and actually we've spoken about it on the podcast was charities place in culture wars and whether there is a place for charities in taking a side on these culture wars or whether actually we should be trying to um bring kind of warring sides together and actually focusing more on on our work i don't know if that's if those things are mutually exclusive or not whether actually we, our, our work is intertwined with some of the challenges that we see on uh, in society but it, it, in this conversation I had with, uh, with my colleague we, we were talking about how it seems to be recognized that social media in, at its worst is encouraging people to think in a very kind of divisive way is that do you think that's part of the challenge that you're seeing with the children you're working with or, or does it not really feature so much I think it does feature we tend to particularly at the moment we are privileged to be working with a number of young people because we have them in the charity on the kickstart scheme they're informing a lot of the work that we're doing in terms of strategy and development of the way we develop our programs and our um, workshops and so on it, it's so interesting to hear what they actually say and I think it, it does vary quite a lot because uh, and maturity plays a big part in this because some of the more vulnerable young people may be younger or more at risk or with more chaos, chaotic backgrounds and different life experiences perceive things differently. And social media can have an enormous impact on them and their frame of mind, their approach, their self-belief. Similarly, things that our current day problems, the county lines issue that's going on at the moment as well. There's all sorts of stuff, if you like, that many people don't actually understand is actually happening that is impacting on young people because we might think, oh, well, it, it's that, whatever that might be. And we have an idea in our mind about the magnitude of that issue. I find talking to young people very often an issue that I might think is relatively minor. Okay, you don't dismiss things, you never disregard things, obviously, but you think, well, you know, if that's all you've got to worry about today, that's not so bad. 
But actually, it can be the end of the world for them. And, you know, that they may perceive it as an absolute showstopper barrier to doing something, taking a first step, applying for a job. Um, Even the smallest thing can be stopped dead in its tracks by one wrong comment on social media. And I think we, we are at risk sometimes of underestimating the impact of that. So we're uh, recording this in October 2021. It's been about 18 months of the COVID-19 pandemic. How have things been changing for you and the work that you do over this time? And what learnings do you think you and your team will take forward into the challenging world that we currently face? Well, the pandemic was, of course, um, for many, a a time of negativity and, and reflection. And it has impacted on people in very different ways particularly young people and I think people's circumstances are different there's been people saying oh well you know we're all in the same boat well we're not we're all in the same storm but we're not necessarily in the same boat at all and I I think there's a number of issues here one is for for young people there's a, a whole chunk of their life their development their opportunities that's been taken away from them that they're never going to get back and they have to manage with support hopefully Mm. Um, ways around that getting the right coping in place and learning how to deal with the fact that it is what it is and we have to move on from here from a charity point of view on the other hand we've actually seen an upsurge in the amount of interest in volunteering which is hugely important to us we are a volunteer-led organization because people have had a bit more time on their hands and that they've very often been people have been furloughed, they've been looking for something interesting to do and they want to give back. Mm. They've taken the opportunity to learn new skills and understood the social benefits of being part of good causes. And that can range from not only Employability UK as a charity supporting young people, but things like the stuff that people have been doing for the NHS, food banks, helping others. You know, it is an absolute inspiration to see all the good that can come out of something that has been so horrific mm. um, for many. And, and I think there is always a huge focus on the negatives and the impact it's had and how terrible it's all been. And, and we absolutely can't underestimate that at all. But I think we mustn't lose the opportunity by, you know, overlooking just how powerful a force for good volunteering is and the difference it can make, not only to the beneficiary, but to the person that's giving it, because that in itself can be an antidote to feelings of negativity, depression, low mood. Giving somebody something and seeing their reaction can be a a massive, massive plus for some people, however small that gesture might be. And it doesn't need to be a high value thing. It doesn't need to be a, a, a product. It can just be a compliment or a smile or a helping hand. And and I know that some people may think, well, you know, why should I do that? Well, try it. And if you don't like it, don't do it again, but don't not try it. How are you working with employers to assist you in delivering your mission? And what learnings could listeners of this podcast take and how to engage effectively 
with companies to support their charities work? It's interesting. We um, we speak to uh, business owners all the time, large and small, and we obviously interact with um, corporates to see if we can support their CSR agenda, employee volunteering and so on. But I think one of the... Um, the really interesting things was a conversation I had with a, a smaller business owner recently who had a very different perception of the, the situation with young people. I mean, we, we talk about unemployment and, and skill shortages and various things, the economic impact. But they say, well, you know, we've got jobs on, on offer and we set up assessment centres and people don't turn up and things like this. And, and it's interesting to see the perception of, if you like, the, the other side of the story. And I think it, it really is the job of charities to provide that education business partnership link. I know that sounds like a very overused term, but it really is important because without that, you're never going to get the fusion that comes from, well, we can't get a job because employers won't give us a job. Employers saying, well, we've got jobs on offer, but they haven't got the right attitude or mm. they don't turn up ready for the world of work and so on. And I really think that there's a, a strong argument for is the, the questions that need to be asked are, OK, is the world of work ready for the young people as much as it are the young people ready for the world of work? Because this is a two-way street now and people expect it to be an equitable arrangement where, you know, a company's social values are among the criteria that job seekers are increasingly looking at. And it's not just about, well, here's a job. Do we think you can do it? Yes, you can. Okay, you're hired. Off we go. It's much, much more than that now. It's about is this a great place to work? Do they look after people? It isn't just about salary terms and conditions. It's about values. It's about how people are supported in the work environment. What are the prospects? What are the training opportunities? What else does that employer do as part of its social responsibility agenda outside of of uh, volunteering there's much much more to it now i guess also it made me think in a way it's almost like a positive cycle to it isn't it if you've got employers that are involved with uh, charities like employability uk or others that that then helps to kind of represent the the good um, values that they might have which might then also encourage new people to come in and take jobs that are on, on offer in that company to then kind of drive that vehicle in and can work for all parties then that the, the business then has a good reputation that will bring in good uh, kind of talent to support their work, but they'll also be volunteering. And then also the charities that they're working with are also um, kind of benefiting too. I think that's right. And I, I think that millennials who will make up three quarters of the global workforce within the next four years, wow. they feel a certain sense of entitlement in terms of values. They expect more because it isn't just about, oh, I've got to get a job, any job will do. A lot of young people are choosing very carefully who they're applying to. Mm. It isn't all about, you know, the balance of power being in one place or another. It, it can shift very, very quickly. And I've seen this happen. We, as I say, are 
a kickstart employer and I'm really proud of the fact that we get the opportunity to demonstrate by example what we think good employability skills provision looks like Mm -hmm. and we're actually doing that but we've had people turn up to interview uh, because when the kickstart scheme started I said that we're not going to go big style on this we're going to do it very carefully we're going to do it for the benefit of the young people and it's going to be a terrific really really positive experience I mean it has been challenging in terms of the way it's been administered these things always are but the overriding positive out of all this is we've met some brilliant young people and you know these people by default are on universal credit so they're unemployed So you already know they're not coming to you from a position of great strength, particularly. But my goodness me, you know, some of the young people we've interviewed and talked with and it's a real eye opener and, and, and so heartwarming to see the spirit, the enthusiasm, the uh, inspiration that they actually bring mm. despite their current circumstances in some cases and some of the questions they ask as well you know you think wow I, was, I just was not expecting that but it is so good you know to to, to have this opportunity mm. to hear what their expectations and their dreams are it's it's brilliant society we want young people to buy into that society then I guess part of it is the process has to be about listening to their expectations and and helping to meet those expectations now in the future you know as reasonably as possible most definitely and one of the ways we go about making sure that that happens is we provide a um, employment opportunity via the kickstart scheme perhaps or or some other means but All of the young people have a mentor and that mentor, whilst DBS checked by Employability UK and briefed by Employability UK, remains very impartial and very independent and able to support the young person. Mm. We're not, um, there are organisations that focus very much on mentoring schemes and, and, and that's absolutely fantastic. We use mentoring more as a tool amongst other things that we use. And the way we do that is in in a sort of a coaching way. So it's it's about every relationship is different. The relationship is driven by the young person. There's no check boxes or tick lists that have to be completed and um, and things like that. So we find that works really really well for us. Um, and it is interesting because people's expectations are different. And overwhelmingly, the response we get, we, we have had a workshop just today with um, seven or eight young kickstart people. And when asked for feedback at the end, the, the positivity was quite, it was quite, um, I was really proud to hear what they were saying about feeling supported and how excited they are about the opportunities and what they can bring to the charity yeah as opposed to what what is in it for them Mm. and I I think that's really good and um it's because it is challenging at times running a charity as we as we all know especially a smaller one where funds are always tight and so on and so forth and 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 sometimes you think god this is so hard and and you know I don't know if I can do this music no no think you know practice what you preach resilience bounce back get on with it and then you will have someone, a young person say, 
oh miss I thought I thought that was amazing you know blah 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 and and you just that's why we do it and it is it is so fantastic you know there's nothing like it and back to the what I was saying about volunteering you can get so much out of it not just improving your own skills and confidence as a mentor or a coach but it's that spark of the in inspiration that can you can get from a young person that can really ignite your own dreams and think I'm really loving this we've had mentors that have gone on to go into careers advisors even a teacher mm. people have actually changed the course of their own career as a result of volunteering with us which I think is absolutely amazing We've spoken with uh, with leaders from across the sector throughout the pandemic. Uh, resilience, as you say, mental health and well-being, both for the teams they manage, but also their own, come up often as key aspects of leadership. How do you manage mental well-being and, uh, and, and mental health in your organisation and balance that with delivering for your beneficiaries? I like to think that the approach we have to mental health and well-being is very much incorporated in our whole approach to the um, the well-being and advancement of people who either work for us in a paid capacity or as a volunteer or as a beneficiary. So we don't have specific, although obviously we have access to things like mental health training and, and things like that, which obviously we do as a matter of course, Everything's incorporated in a very robust safeguarding policy. So we're looking for vulnerability all the time and things like that. But by using neurodiversity, things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, mental health diagnosed conditions in a positive way, mm. we find that it brings a completely different perspective to some of the work that we actually do. Because if you add, if you run a, a prospective framework by someone who's been in the sector for the last 15 years they'll say this this and this you run that same framework past somebody who has had mental health challenges of their own in the past and the feedback is very different I think that's a really really rich resource and we do a lot of that the other thing that we do as well is if we have someone in the organization which we have had who've had um, mental health conditions that either diagnosed or not we try and make sure that everyone regardless of of their uh, health and well-being situation feels cared for and supported but if we do need to put extra things in place what we found very often is a, a very special kind of ownership giving children pets mm. is often a very very good way to make them understand the need to be yeah. careful yeah. and caring and thoughtful and look after things and that can have a healing effect on themselves or go some way to making them realize they're not alone and others are in the same position and I guess as adults as well that certainly resonates with me the idea that you know looking out and 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 trying to help others um, can almost give you at least a bit of respite from your own uh, concerns about your own life you know and I suppose equally it can bring kind of value to your your own life as you've talked about before with volunteering and, uh, and make you feel better about things. I think so and um, I think in the past one of the things uh, that we've done as a charity is probably not shouted loudly enough about some of the quite far-reaching stuff that we have done because we're not um, 
a, a rich organisation. We're not government funded. We don't have um, sort of three year ring fenced um, funding streams coming in. It's it's kept us lean and agile and fit, but it's also kept us hungry and conscientious and very eye on the ball. Mm. So what I'm thinking now is that we have got a legacy here. The charity has its seventh year anniversary on the 23rd of December. And seven years is a great milestone to say, right, let's take stock. Let's look at what we've done. We've achieved some amazing things over the last seven years. How can that service as a platform going forward to the next seven years? And what will shape and change as a result of that? In um, in, in uh, June, we were actually awarded the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. Oh, wow. That, I can't tell you how proud I am of, of the team and everyone involved in making that happen. Yeah. But that is an endorsement that has really made a difference to us in terms of our psychological approach mm. and our self-belief as a charity, as an organisation and the people within it, because it's no longer us shouting about it. Somebody else has said, We've had a really in-depth look at what you're doing and we think it's really good and here's an award. And that, I think, is an endorsement that money just can't buy. And and, and the the pride in the team and the volunteers as a result of that happening, I think, has set us up for to approach the next seven years better than we could ever possibly have hoped for. Diane Vernon, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. to Diane Vernon. Speaking with Diane, it strikes me that the pressures and stresses that young people face today is a challenge which we must all seek to understand and address. The environment may have changed since you and I were classed as young people, maybe I'll just speak for myself, but the type of challenges have not. It seems that in some cases there is an increase in competition and expectation on young people. Social media may be a part of this and, as we know, can have quite a negative impact on young people, especially those who are vulnerable or who come from more chaotic backgrounds or with certain life experiences. Diane said that it can also have an enormous impact on their frame of mind, their approach and their self-belief, which I can understand. I'm sure that many of us can empathise with that and we have probably all seen the evidence that suggests that we shall be seeking well-being practices that ration our use of social media. The pandemic has caused an increase in interest in volunteering among Employability's UK supporters, which is fantastic. And Diane's uh, offered some very good advice regarding volunteering and the power for good that this has both for beneficiaries and for volunteers. I've seen and experienced how volunteering and doing things for others can help my own low moods and in our society today where there seems to be so much stress and anxiety perhaps one antidote that we can all take is giving a little more to support our fellow humans as diane said this can even be in the form of a smile or a compliment which is doable for all of us every day i love this quote from diane it's that spark of the inspiration that you can get from a young person that can really ignite your own dreams and think I'm really loving this. People have actually changed the course of their own career as a result of volunteering with us, which I think is absolutely amazing. And I agree, I do too. It was interesting to hear also from Diane that 
companies' social values are among the criteria that job seekers are increasingly looking at. This is another good reason why those of us working in charities should be championing supportive and inclusive organisational practices and gives me hope that as a society we may be moving closer to a more wholesome working environment for all. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, who's brought this episode to you, fundraising platform, Work for Good, and the festive small business star match funding campaign. This year, there's a £50,000 match funding pod available. Head to www.workforgood.co.uk to sign up for free. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.